Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. We're continuing uh, in a series walking through uh, the book of 1 Corinthians. But before I get started, just clarify something, uh, because we do post the messages online, and people watch them, and they look, download them from our website. But uh, I've gotten some questions that asked, are we, or am I, really am I, but I'm guessing they mean are we as a church, anti-denominations, because the last couple of weeks we've been talking about you know, God's view on worshiping people. And it's not that I'm anti-denominations, it's that I am pro-God. So when God puts something in his word, then yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach it. And um, I wanted to share this with you that may help clarify it a little bit. How many of you guys remember Mark Berkshire? He's spoken here a couple of times. Some of you guys may have been here when he spoke. Uh, he and I do a podcast uh, called Faith Responders, where we just sit down and talk about when something comes up in the culture, how should people of faith respond because the media says respond one way to something, and the culture says respond some way, and the government says respond some way, but how should people of faith respond? In the last episode, we were talking about um, how people of faith should respond to the persecuted church, because there are a lot of uh, posts being made and people talking about you know, pastors being killed in Nigeria and other places and uh, all that kind of thing, and he actually works with the persecuted church with open doors and voice of the martyrs. So uh, he was sharing a lot about it, but something he mentioned stood out that is applicable today. Uh, He mentioned the fact that in most nations where the church is being persecuted, I don't mean persecuted like us, like I can't hang the Ten Commandments on my lawn, not that, but where people are being like losing their jobs, they're being killed, they're being thrown in prison. He said there aren't any denominations, right? It's not that the United Methodist Church or the Presbyterian Church is being persecuted, and most of those people don't align with any denomination. They just align with Jesus. They're just people who are trying to tell others about Jesus, people who have been touched, you know, and filled with his Holy Spirit, and so they're just kind of not focusing on, you know, what denominational affiliation or how should we align ourselves, elder-led or this, that, or the other. They're just focused on how do we share Christ with other people and how do we stay alive? Uh, So it's just people seeking to know God and to um, try to reveal God. And when we started this series, right, we did this thing where I asked people, I said, hey, if this particular thing impacts you, put a finger down, put a finger down. Uh, And I said, if you had to put one finger down at all, then it's likely that something that Paul is going to teach as we walk through the book of 1 Corinthians is going to offend you. And the things that we're going to talk about today are going to be a little bit more offensive to some people than just talking about the fact that God is not like, hey, pro this denomination or pro that denomination. He's just pro the body of Christ. Okay? So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you have a Bible, pull it out and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, But while you're putting it there, uh, or while you're pulling your Bible out, uh, I'm going to take a moment and I want to pray that God would prepare our hearts for what he's going to reveal to us today. And I want to pray 
that I do a God-honoring job of revealing his truth. So God, we pray that you would be with us and that your spirit would lead us this morning. We pray that as we prepare to hear your word, that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts, that you would make us ready for whatever you have for us this morning, and we pray that I would reveal your truth. Not my opinion, not the culture's opinion, but just your truth as revealed through your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, hold your finger in 1 Corinthians, because we're going to go back there. But to get us an, give us an idea of what we're going to be talking about, uh, I'm going to jump to the book of Leviticus. Leviticus, written uh, by Moses when God was gathering all the people uh, together in the desert after they left Egypt. Uh, and this is what we read, Leviticus chapter 18. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You must not do as they do in Egypt, where you used to live, and you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where I'm bringing you. Do not follow their practices. Now, this is going to be key to what we're talking about this morning, because what God is saying is, hey, where you used to hang out, where you used to live, right, don't do the stuff that you used to do. Where I'm, I'm going to take you into the land of Canaan, you're going to meet people that do other things, different cultures, don't do the stuff that they used to do. And he makes it clear, hey, where you left, they had some cultural practices, not for you. Where you're going, there's going to be some cultural practices, not for you. But he says, for you, you must obey my laws and be careful to follow my decrees. I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and laws for the person who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. All right? So he makes it crystal clear hey, I don't want you, the people that you used to hang out with, and it's great that you lived with them and they were your neighbors, but the things they do, not for you, because you're the people of God. The place I'm taking you to, there's going to be kind of things that that culture does, not for you, because I'm God. And so anyone who says, yeah, um, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ, uh, God says, hey, there's a standard of morality, and it may not match what you were used to, and it may not match where you think it should be going, but God says there's a standard of morality that I'm going to reveal, and if you want to be the people of God, you need to obey it. And then there's the people that say, well, that's the Old Testament. We don't do it that way anymore. That's kind of true. Because then the New Testament church came, and there was actually, if you read through the book of Acts, where there was a, a council that was held in Jerusalem because there was a lot of confusion because as the gospel was being rolled out, it was rolled out by Jewish people, and when they rolled it out, they rolled it out with their culture, but then there were all these people from other cultures that were like, hey, I don't, I don't, I don't really want your culture. Do I, have to, do I have to build this tabernacle of booths and then do that for a month, or do I have to have this feast? And they were like, well, we've always done it. And so they had this conversation, but then they settled on the concept because the fact was the New Testament church, right, they said it's not going to be centered around the Old Testament laws. That's not what it was built upon. The New Testament church was built on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So in the book of Acts, they had this council, and they met. And let me share a couple of verses of that with you, because, again, it's going to be crucial and important to understanding what Paul is talking about. 
Uh, so the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas because that's where it really started in Antioch where they were like, why do we have to do this? Why do we have to do this culture? Why do we have to do, that's your culture, that's not my culture. Can I bring my culture to the church? And so Paul and Barnabas, uh, Barnabas were like, that's a good question. They sent a letter back and they said, hey, what are we supposed to tell them? What, what, what do we do? Because it's not about the Old Testament culture. It's, it's about the resurrection. So what do we do? And so they chose Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, men who were leaders among the believers. And with them, they sent the following letter, the apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. And then they reiterated, hey, we heard you guys had questions, yada, yada, yada. But then here's the, the meat of it. I said, therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. Now, just, just for a second, this is not just the church or a denomination or a group of people saying, here's what we want. According to them, this is, hey, this is us. And this is the Holy Spirit saying, yeah, this is what will work going forward for the church, for all those people who say, I want to be a Christ follower. They said, you are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You do well to avoid these things. Farewell. Now, that may seem like a weird thing, but there's actually some logic to what they did. They said, you're to abstain from food, from sacrifice to idols. That was a big part of the Jewish culture. And the only reason that they said that needs to be a part of the New Testament church culture is because our culture is not just built upon obeying God. It's built upon fellowship with one another as well. And if I am doing something, Paul writes extensively about this later on, if I'm doing something or eating something that makes me say, well, you know what, I can't come hang out at your house, Larry, because you eat this food that culturally is unacceptable to me, then we can't have fellowship. Now, it's not limiting Larry saying you can never eat these food. Paul expounds later and says, hey, if Floyd can't have fish and you want to hang out with Floyd, when you're with Floyd, don't have fish. When you're not with Floyd, Go deep sea diving, get as many fish as you want, eat whatever you want, eat it up. But don't limit yourself in a way that's going to make your brother stumble if that's something that bothers them, right? This wasn't a requirement like thou shalt not, but this was a, hey, if you're going to eat foods that there are people that have different cultural differences that's going to kind of limit them, then let's remove that limitation so that we can fellowship together. He said, don't uh, eat, uh, abstain from food sacrificed to idols, but also from eating blood. That is still a biblical, God-honoring requirement. God made it clear in the Old Testament, you shouldn't do it because I put the blood into you. It's a sign of life. It's disrespectful to God to eat blood. And for everyone who says, but I like a big, juicy steak filled with blood, you know what? That's between you and God. It's not God saying you're not going to get to heaven. But what they were saying was, hey, from what we understand, God says this is disrespectful, so just don't do that. But then they said from the meat of strangled animals, again, biologically good, right? 
uh, also claim because if a, you find a dead animal, and I know it may be cool to go, I found a whole roadkill, take it home, cover it up, and eat it, but there's bacteria and all that stuff that gets into it, and you guys are looking weird, but yes, I've done it. No, I haven't. I haven't. I haven't. I haven't. <laughs> because some of you are like, now we're never eating with Floyd. But uh, no, I haven't. But uh, bacteria, but also some cultures that it was okay. But for the Jewish culture, it was culturally unacceptable. So again, let's remove anything that's going to prevent fellowship. And then from sexual immorality. So here, here's the thing that they said. They said, hey, abstain from things that are going to, you know, eating foods in a way that are going to stop us from fellowshipping. Uh, abstain from eating blood, because as far as we know, that's still disrespectful to God. And abstain from sexual immorality. The way that we interact romantically and sexually with one another. And a lot of people will focus on the fact that that phrase sexual immorality is the, when Paul uses it, he uses, uh, I think it's the Greek word pornea, and they focus on that pornographic part of it. But that's not all that Paul focuses on. He focuses on morality overall, sexual morality and morality overall. But what, uh, what they focus on is, hey, these are the things that, you're right, you don't have to obey Jewish culture, but there are some moral guidelines that God puts in place throughout his word that we should keep, right? So now, uh, open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and some of your Bibles may have uh, a heading on there that says, Expel the Immoral Brother. And again, it's good heading, catches your eye. It's not the entire focus of this passage, but it's a huge part of it. Uh, in chapter 5, verse 1, it says this, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality. Again, uh, if you have a King James Version, it says fornication, uh, which nobody uses that word today. Uh, the Greek word is pornea, uh, sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that does not occur even among pagans. Now, let me pause there for a moment, because if you look in the actual Greek, um, it actually says it is actually commonly reported, not just reported, commonly reported. And when we get to verse 9, you're going to see where Paul says, hey, I've already written you a letter about sexual immorality, and the understanding is that this instance that he's going to talk about is just one piece of a puzzle. The other pieces is the fact that within that church culture, they were doing a lot of things that were outside of God's moral standards of what was sexually permissible. It wasn't just this instance. There were other instances Right? But he says, not e these things that don't even occur among pagans. And he gives an example. He says, a man has his father's wife. And you are proud, meaning they were boasting about it. He says, shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? Now, that, we'll get to that in a minute. But uh, what most theologians think was happening was that there was a guy who was dating his father's wife and dating, having sex with. That wasn't the whole essence of the problem. The problem was he was boasting about it, and everyone else was saying, oh, okay, that's okay. Now, from a, in that time period, uh, Greek-Roman culture, uh, incest, unacceptable. It was still looked down upon, illegal. 
Uh, Persian culture, unacceptable. I think in Egyptian culture, somewhat unacceptable, but because they were based on a hierarchy where the leaders were to believe to be godly, like gods themselves, uh, they would do some incestual things to keep the bloodline pure, so to speak. Uh, Vikings too, although I've never watched that show and every other, all those kind of shows. But uh, incest overall, not good. Looked down upon. So from that standpoint, Paul's like, why would you be happy about this? Now, uh, most theologians also believe that this wasn't actually his birth mother, probably his stepmother. But in Roman and Greek culture, that was still looked at as she's your mother, parental figure, don't do it. And particularly in Greek culture, which had a heavy influence in Corinth, um, when an older man remarried, if his wife died or something happened to her, he would typically, if he had kids, remarry a younger woman so that she could help take care of the kids. Doesn't, you know, sound great for women, but if you're a younger woman without many job prospects in a culture that was very degrading and, and made women into sexual, sexual objects, then this was a way not to end up in a, as a temple prostitute. So a 20-year-old or 18-year-old woman can either marry the 45-year-old guy or end up as a temple prostitute. And given those choices, most of them was like, I'll marry the 45-year-old guy and take care of his tween or teenage kids. But if that was the case, then you can imagine within a couple of years, they're not that far separated. And what most theologians believe also is because Paul is focusing on the guy is that the woman probably did not attend their ceremony. That she either wasn't a member or she stayed at home. But the guy was bragging about it. And Paul said, why are you bragging about this? This is sexually immoral. And he says in verse 3, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit. And I have already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present when you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, and then the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of our Lord. Now, uh, let me share with you a, a, a verse from Leviticus really quick. Because in Leviticus, God had already, had already laid out, again, Jewish culture, what was acceptable sexually. And he said this, uh, no one is to approach any close relative to have sexual relations. I am the Lord. Do not dishonor your father by having sexual relations with your mother. She is your mother. Do not have relations with her and do not have sexual relations with your father's wife that would dishonor your father. So God had already said, this is unacceptable. If it's your biological mother, unacceptable. If it is your stepmother, your father's wife, unacceptable. So what Paul is reiterating is, hey, there is a, 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 an understanding of what's acceptable. And this wasn't like in opposition to the culture. This was one of those things where the culture was like, yeah, that's not cool, dude. But he's, he's talking about how the morality of that particular church in Corinth had kind of started to degrade away from the things of God. To where even he said the culture, the culture says this even, isn't even acceptable. Uh, and he says, where he says, hand this person over to Satan. A lot of people take that as a bad thing. But what he means is that, and, and, and let me phrase this the right way. When the church comes together, because in Corinth it wasn't like different churches meeting. 
right? Uh, like we said before, there's a church on uh, uh, Eau Clareton that meets. There's a church on uh, a couple of churches on Guildhall that meet. There's a church on Worthington that meets. Uh, but what would happen is during the week, people in those churches would just get together and they'd have Bible studies and they'd have um, uh, what they called uh, love feasts uh, or times where there was food and fellowship and, and study the word of God and do communion together. But then on Sunday morning, all of those people would just come to one place as the church, which is why he says, when you are all assembled together and Jesus is there, and he says, and I'm there with you in spirit, then as an assembly, you should, again, be unified. That's what he's been talking about from the beginning. Be of one mind and say, hey, this is unacceptable. And when he says, hand the guy over to Satan, what he's talking about is the people that say, I'm saying this in a way to try not to offend people, that say that God gives me the sexual freedom to do whatever I want. There are people that say that God made me this way so I can do, have sex this way. Uh, God gave me this sexual drive so I can do this. Uh, God put, you know, um, yes, I'm married, but God put this other woman in my office as a secretary, so he must have wanted me to meet her and leave my wife and go with her. And there's a Greek word for that. It's called baloney. That's not true. That's not the way it works. And what Paul is saying is inside the church, there is the presence and things of God, Outside of the church, there is the world, which really, when he says Satan, that's who has dominion over that. And he's saying, if you have someone who says, well, I have the sexual freedom to do whatever I want, great. That freedom is out there. Let them know you can do that freedom out there, but it's unacceptable in here. And what he's asking them to do, and he's going to talk more about it in later chapters, what he's asking them to do is you need to draw a moral line of what's acceptable in the sight of God and what is not acceptable in the sight of God. It's not him trying to say, let's embarrass this guy or whatever. It's him trying to say, you need to do what's right so that, and then later, uh, we won't get there for a while, but in 2 Corinthians, he actually talks about the fact that, hey, because this guy now, because he doesn't have this fellowship and the spirit of God and he's not a part of the church, he literally wants to come back, and most theologians believe that he probably dumped the woman. Don't know that for a fact, because that's not in the text. But he wants to come back, and Paul's like, yeah, let him back in. He wants to be a part. Paul said, what, what I wanted to happen happened. You put him outside, and he, got, he didn't have this fellowship. He didn't have this time with God. He didn't have people loving on him like the church is supposed to do. And he missed that. And he wants to come back to that. And Paul says, let him come back. Jump over to verse 9. Verse 9, Paul says, I have written you in my letter. And again, previous letter that Paul had written to them, and we don't know exactly how many there were, but obviously there was at least one. I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Again, common problem. Paul had written about it before. But he specifies, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, or the greedy and the swindlers or idolaters. He says, in that case, you would have to leave this world, but now I'm writing you that you must not associate with, and this is key, anyone who calls himself a brother, anyone who calls himself a Christ follower, which is why I've been trying to reiterate, this is written to church folk. It's written to the Christians. It's written to those who say that I believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior. And he says, anyone who makes that claim and calls himself a brother but is sexually immoral or they're greedy, 
or they're an idolater, or they're a slanderer, or they're a drunkard, or they're a swindler, with such a man do not even eat. He says you can't do both. You can't call yourself a Christ follower, but then treat others and act in a way that is immoral. You can't call yourself a Christ follower, but then say my main goal is that I want to be greedy. I want to get all I can for me. Because one of the things that the Holy Spirit does in us is create extreme generosity. It's actually one of our core values as a church. Um, Authentic community, passionate spirituality, and extreme generosity. It's not about giving money to the church. It's about giving to others. But you can't do that if you're greedy. You can't do that if you're trying to cheat and swindle others. You can't do that if you're consistently drunk and saying that, hey, I don't care about what God wants me to do. Here's how I want to feel. And you put, oh, I want to feel good now, this temporary feeling above uh, God's eternal calling, right? So what happens in the church is that there's this culture that God wants and God creates of morality, But then the people in the church say, well, I don't want to do that. So they start moving that moral line further and further back, or they just step over it and say, I don't care. And it's not that God is calling us to be perfect. He's not. God isn't saying that you have to be perfect, but he sends his Holy Spirit to perfect us. And if we're constantly doing things that are in opposition to the Holy Spirit, we're fighting against God. And if we're constantly making excuses for the people that we know that say, yes, I'm a Christian, but I'm doing things in opposition to God, then we are allowing them to step across that line. But it's also chipping away at us where we begin more and more to say, well, I guess that's okay. And I guess that's okay. And I guess that's okay. And I guess that's okay. Right? But that's not what God calls us to do. Now, Jesus, uh, when he was, um, before he went to the cross, when he was with his disciples, in John chapter 14, this is what he says. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. Right? Now, just you don't have to raise your hand, but how many think this sounds negotiable? Like, I don't have to, maybe I do. It sounds like Jesus is saying, hey, if you love me, keep my commands. And I love that he doesn't leave it on us and say, keep my commands. There's a lot of them. Not going to tell you how. Good luck with that. What he actually says is, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. God doesn't expect us to keep his commands and struggle on our own. He knows that we can't, so he gives us his Holy Spirit. Now, John wrote this, but then later, John's going to write in 1 John, which I think we'll do that as, as down the road, a couple of months, we'll hit 1 John. He says, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. That's how we know that, that we have come to know God. But he says, and this is kind of harsh, whoever says, I know him, meaning Jesus, but does not do what he commands, is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. Now, when we get to that, we'll discuss it more, but this isn't John saying, uh, I'm Floyd and I say I'm a Christian, but I accidentally, in a fit of anger, you know, curse out Beth, which the Bible says, let nothing come out of your mouth except for as good as encouraging, so that means I'm a liar. No, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking on a regular, habitual basis, the way that you live your life. 
He says, but if anyone, oh, I would never curse you out, Beth. I'm sorry. Don't take that personally. Uh, but he says, but if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. And this is how we know we're in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. God expects us to live our lives in a way that looks like we are actually following God. We don't get to say that, yes, I'm a Christian, but I can treat people the way that I want and do whatever I want, even if it's opposed to God's word. Then you're not a Christian. And let me, I, I use this as an example all the time, and not, again, not to offend anyone, but I, Floyd, as a black man, don't get to say, I am a part of the KKK if I'm not going to act like a part of the KKK and treat other black people the way the KKK wants them treated. Those two don't mesh up. In the same way, we don't get to say, I'm a Christian, if we're going to talk bad about people and slander people and be greedy and make our focus on us instead of God, right? We don't get to do that because it defames the name of God. And then other people look and say, if that's what being a Christian is like, which is what happens a lot in the church today, people look and say, if that's what being a Christian is like, the ones who treat people like this and talk like this and do this, I don't want anything to do with your God, right? We don't get to do that. Because again, it's not that God expects us to be perfect, but he is perfecting us with his Holy Spirit. And as he perfects us with his Holy Spirit, he does expect us to be different. We are not supposed to be like the world. This doesn't mean that we're better than, because a lot of people look at some of the things we do and say that's not better, but we are supposed to be different. We're supposed to look like God. When we talk to people, when we treat people, when we come across moral issues, there are a lot of moral issues out there in the public today where, you know what? I would lean away that God would probably not go, but it's not up to me, so I'm going to say, yeah, I'm going to trust God because he knows way more than I do. There are a lot of uh, political issues where politicians lean one way, uh, people lean another way, but we are not supposed to lean and follow the politicians. Remember last week he said, no more following men. We are supposed to follow God. What would God do? What does God want? And how does God want us to act? And how does God want us to be people? We're supposed to be different because we're supposed to be the church. This is the whole focus and what he's writing to them about. And here's what typically happens. Let me show you this. Uh, there's a guy named, how many people have ever heard of Francis Chan? Anyone? Okay. Francis Chan, uh, Christian author, pastor, megachurch pastor, left his church to go um, uh, start smaller churches. He just felt like they weren't being godly, right? Uh, and he uses this perfect example. And I thought this would be great. He does it a lot better than I do. So, um, from God's perspective, God is equipping us, not just for how we're supposed to act now, but for eternity, right? We're going to spend eternity with God. So everything that God is doing to us now uh, and equipping us now through his Holy Spirit is to prepare us also for there would be a knot. Of course there'd be a knot. For eternity, right? Now, when we think of eternity, our minds don't grasp it. But if you imagine if, if, if this rope is eternity, can I get, Larry, can you just come up here and just, you just grab this and just start walking to the back. This is eternity. Go slow so I don't get rope burned. Okay, this is eternity. So this is what God is, did you just try to yank it? This is what God is preparing us for and equipping us for and getting us ready for 
and this is eternity, and, and the way that we are supposed to live and the way that we are supposed to act isn't just for now, it's for all time. Uh, we're going to have eternal bodies. Granted, we have regular bodies now, but eventually, right? And he's, trans- he's supposed to be, the Holy, through the Holy Spirit, preparing us and equip us so that we are more and more like the image of Christ. And you can stop right there because there's like all kind of knots in this thing. Uh, but the idea is this is, and again, this rope is, how long is this rope? 100 feet, 100 feet right? So in our mindsets, uh, 100 feet is, is long. Eternity is even longer and longer. And uh, I'm just going to let that go, and I'm going to go with the other end. So this is what God is equipping us for. This is the way that he wants us so that we are ready for eternity. So imagine 100 feet, not long. As long as all this is, and you're still going way out there, that's eternity, Okay. I don't know if you guys can see this, but this right here, if this is all eternity, this little portion right here would represent time. If this little portion represents time, if from here to there is eternity, eternity is actually no end to it, represents time, this is the beginning of time, right? If somewhere where this black tape ends is where eternity starts, right? that means right now, wherever we are on the spectrum, is really, really small. Does that make sense? Eternity, really, really long. Uh, beginning of time here, somewhere time is going to stop. Eternity is going to start and go on and on and on. Somewhere along here, the size of a pencil dot is where our lifespans are. And this is what it looks like to God. God says, I'm equipping you for all of this. I want my Holy Spirit in you so that you're ready to live through not just time and your life, but all of eternity. And what we say to God is, this pencil dot right here that represents my life right now, I want to focus on the pleasure that I can get now. I want to focus on the sexual immorality, the pleasure that I can get now. I want to focus on the drunkenness that I can get now. I want to focus on the greed that I can get now. From God's perspective, God who who is trying to equip us so that we can live for all eternity in a moral and just way, what he sees us saying is that I just want to live for this little dot right here. That little dot, God, is more important to me and that momentary, temporary pleasure I'm going to get, more important to me than all of this. That's what we're saying to God when we say, hey, I'd rather focus on the sexual pleasures, the the drunken pleasures, the greedy pleasures, the what I can get now. We're telling God that all of this eternity that you're preparing us for and that you put your Holy Spirit in us to help prepare us for, that's not as important as this little momentary pleasure that I'm going to get right now. And God looks at that and says, that makes no sense. When someone is handing you the ability to live for eternity, and you're turning it down to say, I want to live for the three minutes of pleasure I'm going to get right now, for the one drunken night I'm going to get right now, for the the, the money that I'm going to work my life to get right now. I want to live for right now. And it makes no sense to God. Now, the good thing is, again, God makes it perfectly clear how 
we can, instead of living for right now, we can live for eternity, and it's with the information that uh, Paul gives us, or excuse me, John gives us. He says, and this is the Amplified Version, I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to give you another comforter. This is what the Holy Spirit is. It's a key, sorry, is a comforter. He is a counselor. He is a helper. He's an intercessor. He's an advocate. He's a strengthener. God gives us his Holy Spirit so we don't have to focus on this temporal one-minute pleasure thing, but so that we can focus on the eternal existence that he has for us, so that we can make decisions that are God-honoring, then we can make choices that are morally just, and when we have God's Holy Spirit, then we don't have to be greedy because then we can focus on, through that power of the Holy Spirit, extreme generosity. It's not about what can I get for me, but it's about how can I give more so that people can experience God. Uh, instead of focusing on slandering others, then you can, through the power of the Holy Spirit, focus on encouraging others and lifting others up. Even those people that hate me and use me and talk about me, how can I pray for them? This is one of the reasons why it, it says, Paul says, let nothing come out of your mouth except what is good and pleasing for lifting others up. And I know that's hard, and I know Floyd can't do it, but Floyd filled with God's Holy Spirit is probably more able to to be an encourager to even those people that you don't want to, and then you don't have to worry about not just sexual immorality, but making God the moral standard that says, I am going to be morally just, not in Floyd's sight, not in the culture's sight, but in God's sight. Not because I'm that good, but because God makes it possible. And it all boils down to understanding, do we have God's Holy Spirit? So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for a moment because if there is anyone here who says, well, I, I don't have God's Holy Spirit, I don't know if I have God's Holy Spirit, the only way that you get that is by acknowledging Jesus as Lord and Savior. And Paul's going to talk about that in great detail. But God, we just pray that anyone who is looking to know you as Lord and Savior, there's not a magic prayer, there's not a, a thing they have to do other than acknowledge, God, that you love them enough, that you sent your son to die for them, and that that was proven by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And that because of his resurrection, if they will put their faith and trust in you, then your word says that you will give them the promised seal of the Holy Spirit so that they might know that they are yours. And God, we also pray for those of us here who we may have been Christians for years and we may be filled with your spirit, but we may also know that we've crossed some moral lines. We pray that if you would speak to our hearts right now, maybe we need to repent from a, a thing we did. Maybe we need to repent from a way that we treated someone. But we pray that we would all acknowledge that there is a moral line that you call us to uphold. And that if we are claiming to be Christ followers, then with our words and our actions that we need to follow Christ pray that we do it in a way that brings glory to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.